Bit of a struggle. Okay. After he had done the first ascent, Ben gave the climb the unprecedented grade of 8C. He'd beaten the French on their home ground and at their own game. Okay, so quick non-climbing history lesson. In 1452, there was an epic battle between France and England, and it actually took place on French soil, pretty close to a small town called Agincourt, which is up in the north of France. And this was one of the biggest upsets in military history. The French at the time were the dominant nation in the world, but then during this battle, a small undermanned British army defeated the much larger and much stronger French army, and they ushered in a new era of British dominance. Okay, so we're done with non-climbing. Let's fast forward to 1989. Ben Moon, after spending five years meticulously climbing all of the hardest routes in Bukes, France, he ends up putting up the King Line at the Crag, and it immediately became the third ever 8C or 514B in the world and France's hardest route. What did he call it? Agincourt. He named it after that 15th century battle. On the Jam Crack podcast, he actually talks about naming it and he says that he admits that he kind of regrets it because it's not a very nice name. But from a historical perspective, when you consider all of the wild things that happened on the cliffs above the tiny town of Bukes during the 80s, it's actually in a lot of ways the perfect name. You see, in the 80s, right after the birth of bolt-protected sport climbing, Pretty much all of the hard climbers in the world agreed that Bukes was the greatest crag in the world. And it was like a battlefield. Competition was fierce, and if you put up a hard route, it was only a matter of time before the next person came along and put up something harder. And they made up new tactics as they went along. Things that, if you climb today, you would probably know and use. In fact, the crag took on a special nickname during the time, the laboratory. And this was by far the most popular climbing laboratory in the universe. Everyone agreed, men, women, I mean everybody. Mix in some controversies and some sibling rivalries, and you have the makings of some pretty incredible history. But then, something weird happened. After Ben put up that route, Agincourt, the 90s came, and things kind of changed. So today, let's take a look and see what happened at that magnificent crag. Why did it get so popular? Who was there? What did they do? And how did it fade from center stage? And most importantly, why does it all matter? Welcome to A Brief History of Climb. I'm James Howell, and today we're learning about Bukes. I'll say it again, the name of the place is Bukes, B-U-O-U-X. It's in the Provence region of southern France, which is around an eight-hour drive south of Paris. It's not on any made roads or highways, so if you end up in Bukes, it's probably either by accident or because you heard about it and specifically went there. Upon arriving, you're in a tiny 12th century village in a lush oak tree valley surrounded by imposing limestone walls. And the walls are totally incredible. 
300 feet high with blue and gray streaks. They're heavily pocketed. They're slabs, vert, massive overhanging bulges. It really is a climber's paradise. And people have actually been climbing these walls since ancient times. Troglodytes, or prehistoric cave people, they lived all over these walls for thousands of years. They would chip holds into the rock and pound wooden pegs in that they would climb to access ledges and caves higher on the walls. So if you go climbing there, you might stumble upon alcoves and niches hundreds of feet up that have clearly been accessed centuries before. It's pretty cool stuff. But modern French climbers, they didn't think much about this crag until the late 1970s. There was some aid climbing going on there, but it took a revolution in style for Bukes to get some attention. Here's what happened. In the early 1970s, the French were actually way behind the rest of the climbing world when it came to free climbing, aka climbing only using your hands and your feet to make progress. At that time, most French climbers solely saw mountaineering as real climbing, and the best place to do that was in the Alps in eastern France. They didn't care much for the comparatively smaller limestone walls in the south of France. They really only saw those as practice for the bigger walls. Not only that, they thought that egg climbing was the best way to climb, because it meant that you could move faster through challenging sections in the mountains, and they probably correctly thought that that was safer. But after visiting the places like England and the US where free climbing was picking up steam, a few French climbers began to see the limestone cliffs in places like Bukes differently, and rapidly things began to change in France. And nobody brought on those changes more so than Patrick Edlanger. This guy is a major player in why sport climbing took off in France. He started mountaineering as a child, but he pretty quickly realized that the athletic pursuit of free climbing is what he really loved. So he hitchhikes to the south of France, and by his mid-teens, it's the late 1970s, and he's living a bohemian lifestyle, sleeping in his van and training and climbing all the time. And he grows into this super good-looking guy. He's really fit, he's got long blonde hair, chiseled features, and fingers of steel. Oh, and he happens to love free soloing, which caught the eye of people just as much as it does now. By 1980, he was part of a new generation of French climbers who were rappelling down cliffs and placing bolts onto faces. This is quite the change from trad climbing, where you're generally climbing up cracks or other weaknesses into the rock. They were more focused on climbing faces, and usually overhanging faces. You see, he loved the movement of hard climbing. He saw it as an art form, and by bolting on rappel, he was able to create harder and more athletically focused climbing. Patrick saw that Bukes had cliffs that seemed to be made for this particular style. To be clear, this was still the very early stages of sport climbing, and there was a ton of resistance from older climbers who were against these tactics. Despite putting up some amazing routes, Bukes really still wasn't popular. But then, in 1982, things changed, and Bukes would begin its short run in the limelight. You see, that's the year that Patrick starred in one of his most famous climbing films of all time, La Vie aux Boîtes des Doigts. It was actually one of the first pure rock climbing films ever, and it culminates in footage of Patrick free soloing all over the cliffs of Bukes. Here's a clip from the intro, and it's going to give you a little bit of the vibe. If you listen closely, you can actually hear Patrick crack his knuckles before he starts climbing. Check it out.
This film was insanely popular in France and throughout the entire world. Once the masses saw this incredible blonde demigod moving gracefully across the Bukes limestone, the collective psych for sport climbing exploded. In droves, French climbers started going to Bukes to ride this new wave of climbing. By 1983, some weekends saw as many as a thousand climbers coming down to sample the routes in Bukes. And I should mention that Bukes only had a population of about 140 at the time. And that is where the importance of Patrick Edlanger comes from. He showed the world what free climbing and sport climbing looked like. He, he inspired an entire generation of climbers to turn their attention to overhanging faces and athletic, sporty climbing. And people loved him. He was the face of climbing, the first real sport climbing celebrity. But in a strange turn of events that in some way foreshadows the future of Bukes, Patrick Edlanger quickly faded away from being front and center at Bukes. It turns out that by 1983, there were already a younger generation who were climbing harder than him by continuing to evolve his sport climbing tactics. Patrick would remain a major player in the sport climbing scene, but it would be for different reasons. The pursuit of pure difficulty was taken on by a different gang. In 1980, a group of young Parisian friends started climbing at Fontainebleau and some other crags around Paris. They were known for playing loud music while climbing, drinking wine at night, occasionally shoplifting, and trying to climb the hardest routes possible. They became known as the Paris Gang, and more than anyone else, they were the ones whose names are plastered across the history of Bukes. Two of them were brothers, Antoine and Marc Le Menestrel, and they really are the key players in Bukes throughout the rest of the 80s. Marc was the younger one, and in fact, he was the youngest of the entire gang. He was a baby-faced, energetic, and extremely physically talented guy. He loved big, powerful moves. Antoine was two years older, and he was more reserved and more quiet than his brother. He saw climbing as more of an artistic endeavor. He wasn't quite as strong as Mark, but he made up for that with his incredible mental strength and commitment. He was a type of climber who tried their absolute hardest every single time that they went climbing. By 1983, they were making regular month-long trips to Bukes, and their sole desire was to put up the hardest routes possible. Now, how they were able to do that came down to style. They didn't care very much about on-siting or trying to do things first try. This is something that the older generation and even Patrick Edlanger was passionate about. Instead, they bolted lines that seemed impossible to them. And they knew that if they worked sections of the route on top rope or bolt to bolt, that they would be able to do it. The style would become known as French style, and it was similar to the way that the Germans were climbing over in the Frankenjura, which they called red point style. Regardless of the name, this is the style of sport climbing that is still most popular today. In the Paris gang, you also had a number of other people, including J.B. Trebeau, who would go on to be very famous in the future. And in general, the group was pretty friendly and welcoming. But between the two brothers, Antoine and Marc, there was a deep rivalry that was starting to brew. What this led to was an incredible tit-for-tat difficulty contest between the two that went on for three years, and in its wake left new grades and new moves and some controversies. Here are the highlights. In 1983, Mark puts up his first really hard route, Le Bidoule. 
it's the world's second ever 8A plus or 13C. In 1984, his brother Antoine looking to make the next level, he bolts a 25 meter swelling line of limestone. It starts under a 45 degree bulge with tiny pockets above your head to start. After the third bolt, once the bulge's steepness eases up a little bit, the moves start to get bigger and they culminate in a huge dyno off of two lower pockets to a pocket that's way out of reach above your head on the left. He named the route Shuka and it was immediately a new test piece for Bukes. But the climb actually has another reason why it's so well remembered. Later in the 80s, a visiting American who wasn't as tall as Mark, he couldn't seem to do the dyno. And after many attempts, he instead improvised a new way that would go on to become extremely famous. He grabbed the two lower pockets and he smeared his right foot, but instead of dynoing, he threw his left leg over his right forearm. He then leveraged his way up and snagged the small pocket with his left hand. In the future, we would go on to call this move a figure four, and it is a legendary move. It's no wonder that Bukes was known as the laboratory. Climbers were coming here to try the hardest routes and the most popular test pieces of the day and making up new tactics to get it done. Then they'd take those new tactics back home with them and they would spread further. 1985 saw further jumps in difficulty when Mark, wanting to up the ante again, bolted and sent Le Mans Salles, Bukes' first 8B plus or 13D and the second ever of that grade in the world. Then his brother made history and some controversy when he put up Bukes' most famous route, La Rose et des Vampires. So what happened? Well, he spotted a line that looked incredible, so he wrapped down it and he put some bolts in it. And then looking closely at an interesting section that he spotted from the ground, he decided to do something that was quite controversial. He ended up chiseling a section of rock there so that this move that he wanted was basically required in order to get through it. He had an artistic mind and the move that he really wanted to use there was an elegant twisting crossbody reach. That move is now known as the Rose move. And since its inception, it has become another fan favorite move by climbers. There's something about the graceful move that catches people's attention and gets them stoked. His method of creating it, it's obviously quite frowned upon today, including by me, but Ultimately, the route is considered a masterpiece, and it is the number one route at Bukes by far. The following year, in 1986, Antoine extended that route into an 8A above it, creating a monster 40-meter pitch named La Rage de Vive, or the Rage of Life, and it became Bukes's first 8B plus or 14A. Then his younger brother, he added his own route of the same grade, which was totally different in style. Instead of this long beast of a route, it was a short, powerful line of pockets up a really steep face. Le minimum was Bukes' second 8B+. So what you have with these two brothers was an incredible run of dominance, and it pushed French climbing into a new dimension. Three grades further in just three years, all of them at the same crag, Bukes. It showed a whole new generation of climbers what was possible in this new French style, and climbers loved it. You may ask, how were they able to keep pushing grades so rapidly? Like, how did the grades just continue to go up year after year? Well, there are a lot of things to consider there. 
First of all, climbers realized that when they didn't have to worry about falling or ripping out gear, and they could purely focus on difficulty, they could actually climb way harder than they were previously. And projecting at that time also seemed to take less time because climbers were catching up to the level that they were truly at. One more thing is that there were vastly less hard routes, meaning that there were less routes to repeat before bolting something new, which might have been harder than whatever you were currently climbing. And by the way, this was the case for both men and women. Top female climbers of the day saw Bukes as the perfect place to test themselves and trying to push into new harder grades. 1987 saw American Lynn Hill, who was 26 at the time and living in France, doing the third ever female ascent of a 8A route. Rev de Papillon was the route and it was another Marc Lemenstrel test piece. But the following year, 1988, saw even bigger news. The legendary French climber Catherine Desteville began working on Shuka, the same route where the figure four was invented that I mentioned earlier. When she ticked that, she became the first woman in the world to climb an 8A plus or 13C. Lynn Hill also sent it after her, and there's actually a great photo of Lynn doing the figure four that you can find on the Brief History of Climb Instagram. It's at Brief History of Climb. Go and check out the picture there. In 1984, Ben Moon was 19 years old and looking more like a skateboard punk than a climber. He was firmly in his dreadlocks era, long, black, and messy hair, and that was actually the first year that he came to Bukes for the first time. And he would return to Bukes for the next five years, working his way through all of the hardest climbs. Whenever he wasn't there, he would train back in England with Bukes on his mind. By 1988, he had managed to do all of the hard routes in Bukes, and he was getting stronger pretty much every day. Then, in the autumn of that year, he saw that there was an overhanging old aid route in an area called the Mission Ledge. The Menestrel brothers had both seen it, but they had written it off as being too hard. This 100-foot pitch had tiny, sharp, and shallow pockets sporadically going up the wall, and as bad as the hands were, the feet were even worse. It was a brutally hard route, the essence of bouldery climbing. Ben spent almost three weeks trying to work out a sequence using all the tactics. Top roping, bolt to bolt, everything. He finally worked something out, but by that time he was too mentally and physically exhausted from getting beat down on the route to put it all together. On his final attempt, he got pretty far, but he fell again and he lowered and just immediately left Bukes. He was burnt out and he wanted to get away as far as possible. Back in England, he relaxed and then he trained and then he returned the following year to project the route. The Crux is a ferocious 10-move sequence on tiny edges and a mandatory underclaim. Doing the Crux move is one of the most iconic photos of Ben Moon. It's taken from above, and it's him holding onto two tiny holds, his feet cutting loose below him, and it is absolutely amazing. Since Ben had climbed all of the hardest routes at Bukes, he knew that this one was a step above. It became first France's first 8C or 14B, the third ever in the world. This was Agincourt, the route that I mentioned at the start. And for the next couple of decades, it remained the hardest route at Bukes. And that's kind of odd, because there are plenty more lines that could be done there. But after the 80s, Bukes just kind of fell out of fashion. Not only that, but the townspeople had gotten fed up with all the climbers. A large portion of the cliff was closed, and this included some of the most classic routes, and it was a real blow for the climbing community. 
Then other crags in southern France began to be developed, and many of them appealed to climbers more. The best example of this is Seuss, which is only about 90 minutes by car from Bukes. Seuss would go on to become one of the premier sport climbing destinations in the world, and it would also be the crag where the first 515A was climbed by Chris Sharma. Guess who is responsible for making that crag so famous? None other than Patrick Edlanger. He credits Bukes with opening his eyes to see what was possible on limestone and paving the way to Seuss. By the early 90s, Bukes was fading away into obscurity. Some climbers still came, but development was stalling and the fad was over. Ben Moon did visit Bukes a few more times in the early 90s, but his focus was gradually changing to bouldering. In a strange way, Bukes is kind of responsible for that as well. To train for the hard, fingery roots at Bukes, he began training on cellar boards back in England. This style appealed to him so much that by the mid-90s, he considered himself a boulderer and went on to invent the world-famous moonboard. As for the Menestrel brothers, they both stopped chasing hard grades in the late 80s, but they certainly didn't stop climbing. Antoine founded a vertical dance group called Les Lézards Bleu. That's right, vertical dance, hanging off ropes, they dance across buildings and rock faces. And Mark became a world-renowned professor, focusing on researching how people make decisions. Both of them are credited with single-handedly raising French climbing standards and inspiring the British to do the same. As for Bukes, in recent years, it has actually begun to see a resurgence in popularity. In fact, Antoine Le Menstrel now lives in the area and he's been actively bolting for the last number of years. And although Bukes may, know, may be known for its incredibly hard roots, there are actually plenty of moderates there as well. So if you're considering a climbing trip mixed with some epic climbing history, consider adding Bukes to your list. And that's it for today's episode of A Brief History of Climb. Check out the show notes for sources and musical credits. And if I can ask you one favor, it's that if you found this podcast interesting, please tell one other person about it. I would be forever grateful if you did that. Don't worry about reviews or ratings or anything. Just tell someone else about it and I would love you forever. Also, I'd love to hear your feedback so that I can keep on improving this show. Feel free to send me a message on my Instagram at Brief History of Climb. Once again, I'm James Howell, and thanks so much for listening. Bye bye.